So good to see you today. Many of you know that our church began in 1939. I have often thought about those early days of our congregation, our people. Consider the fact that just a couple of years after the church launched, a world war began. World War II began, of course, in 1941. I've often thought about those early years. Still amazes me how that group of about 100 people or so in those, that first year came together and what those prayers must have been like. I wonder what the sermons were like. Dr. Alton Reed, our pastor, right? I know that was a time of real desperation and confusion when often we think of the challenging days that we've experienced in recent years. And many of you know that then when the war ended by the dropping of the atomic bomb on Nagasaki, Hiroshima in 1945, people were wondering not only about the future of war and what all that would mean, but the future of the world. And at the time, then, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists started the Doomsday Clock. You may know this. It's a symbolic metaphor of threats to humanity going unchecked by technological or scientific advances. It was the theoretical time that we have left until midnight and the destruction of our planet as we know it. In January, after Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, the, the time was moved forward. We now stand at 90 seconds before midnight. Now, of course, all this is theoretical, but the point here is that this dominance, this sense of dominance and power and the race to build more power to be ahead of others has led to all kinds of un, uh, uh, unforeseen consequences. This doesn't only happen as it comes to an atomic race or now in our day, a nuclear race to power, high stakes power in the world, uh, decisions that are made. But this not only takes place on the geopolitical front or nation to nation, it takes place in our relationships, doesn't it? And you can see where I'm heading from, from the macro to the, to the micro. We all know that the struggle for power and control is where most of our challenges are in relationships. In fact, we've all been hurt by those who are in power, in charge of us. We have scars from our past, many of us do. And many of us who have been given the opportunity to be in charge have not always stewarded that well. You know, most of us know you don't have to teach a two-year-old to say no. And you don't have to teach children a whole lot about this push against power, desire for freedom. Teenagers start to create tension in the home when they desire personal autonomy and freedom in those teenagers pushing against power. And parents who have a hard time releasing can create tension as well. There's a lot that we can learn about this this thing of power and control. And where does grace come in? You know, most therapists would tell us that our relational struggles are often defined by threats to power. And if we, we think about this today, it's going to help us apply the text to all of life. Whatever your home might look like, we're going to bring it from the macro into the home. Mother Teresa said that peace and war in the world starts with peace in the home. 
and how we love each other in the home. That's true about so many things in life. I want you to turn to Colossians 3 will be our text for the day. Colossians 3, 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. I'll read that passage here in a moment. I want to set it up while you're turning there. Everyone opening God's word, because today I'm going to be jumping around within this passage that makes sense in an outline that will help us put our minds around what's being said. This is the, uh, what's known as the household codes. You might know there's a parallel passage that is real helpful. In fact, I'll reference in Ephesians 5. The same household codes are being articulated there. This was a Greco-Roman thing, by the way. This is not a Hebraic or Jewish um, thing, though we see patterns of it in, uh, in, in Judeo-Christian culture, of course. But here in a patriarchal society, a male-dominated society, uh, much more than it is in our day, we have a word for everyone. For singles, for married people, and, and in our context today. So uh, I want to put it in context because as we study God's Word, it's so important to understand the context of the passage. In fact, if we were to begin today in verse 18, um, wives, submit to your husbands. All right, let's pray together, and that'll be it. We'll just talk, just move on. And many of our men would walk out and be glad that we, you know, offered that word. But that, so it, it seems rather abrupt. So it, it, I need to place this in context because we start in chapter three, verse one. He said, since then, you are now people of grace is what he said. Okay. All of our focus here this month. And in fact, every Sunday, the grace of God, you've been raised up with Christ because of his grace, set your heart on things above, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, because you have died to yourself. You've received his grace. You've died to yourself. So now Christ, and I love this line, who is your life? I love that. He's everything. When, when he appears, you'll appear with him in glory. So in light of the radical grace that you've received that has changed your life, now put off certain things. Put on these other things. We're going to see a radical shift of a, of a kind of a secular view of the world and, and family and how God's word flips Everything, the kingdom trajectory flips everything upside down. So then in verse 11, before he gets to the text that we're looking at today, he says here, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. Scythian was a more base, even barbarian. Slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. This sounds a lot like Galatians uh, 3, verse 28, where he says there is no Jew nor Greek, neither Slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you all are one in Christ. This is so important. I'm saying all this to say, in the passage we look at, which is difficult, with much to unpack that we don't have time for, we're seeing a trajectory here of a kingdom trajectory. Christ has come. He inaugurates the kingdom. He ushers in the kingdom of God. He says, now you're living in a different kingdom. And yes, with him as king. Within the context of the world, right? So these Greco-Roman household codes, he's going to bring a different angle to it. And as we'll see, uh, is the, the pairing in a patriarchal society, Aristotle noted, it's going to be, we see it here, it's going to be the father, it's all male focus. The father, we see, uh, well, we see husband, we see father, and we see master, okay, over slaves, doulas. We're going to say, wait, where does that come into play here? But instead, here in Colossians 3, he flips the sequence. The pairings look like this. Wife, husband, 
children, parents, slaves, masters, and to even talk to the subordinate, the ones who are to be submissive in this culture, is a radical shift from a secular view to even address them. You have a role to play in the kingdom of God. There is a place for you. And so today we're going to look at what it is to extend grace when you're in charge, okay? And all of us are in charge at some point, some, some sphere of our lives. How to extend grace when you're not in charge. That's all of us as well. And then how to extend grace when you recognize who's ultimately in charge. That's where the passage goes. Look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for wrong he has done, and there's no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now immediately, um, we see this bondservants. I think the ESV actually softens this a bit. This is the word doulos. This is slaves. About a third of the people in the Roman Empire uh, were slaves. It was a common thing. But doulos, this, this is someone who, we're not talking about just someone who's kind of an assistant helper around the house. This person was owned, mind, body, and soul by the master. So I think, I think we tend to soften it. This is, I mean, we have no real cultural category for this other than our own original sin as a, as a, as a nation. But what's, un, what's important to understand here, again, this kingdom trajectory, what we need to see is in Ephesians 5, verse 18, when Paul enters into the household codes there in Ephesians 5, the first thing that he says, the umbrella over it all is, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's about to teach us about the family, about relationships. And he says, okay, you cannot follow the teaching I'm about to bring you unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't overlook that. This is for God's people. We've noted this is an in-house document. This is for those who want to live in the kingdom of God. And he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then again in Ephesians 5 verse 21, he says, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, submitting to one another as we submit to Christ. So all of this comes into play as we think about submission, all right? Mutual submission in marriage or in the home in society was a radical teaching. And so we need to understand that. Now, determining when and how to submit in relationships is core to healthy relationships and to your marriage. I just uh, talked with one of our members whose daughter is getting married and he, the father said, I just write checks and I don't say a word. I said, brother, you are a smart man. You're a smart man. 
Sometimes, men, right, we submit. We all submit to one another in healthy relationships. If not, it's not going to go well for you. We see this, this redemptive story being played out. So we're going to ask three questions. And, and I'm gonna, we're going to focus on those who are in charge. So how do I extend grace when I'm in charge? How do I extend grace when I'm not in charge? And how do I extend grace when I realize who really is in charge? Let's go. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. No, yeah, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. After he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, it's important to note uh, in, a, in a, what, what was called the petar familias, okay, the father of the household. We also had a metar familias. Uh, a lot of people don't know. One scholar says about a third of all families were actually run by women, and not men. There were a lot of widows. There were a lot of, we see this in the New Testament, Lydia and Phoebe, it's probably what the Proverbs 31 woman is we're hearkening to. We see that women also were heads of household, and a, ha- a household could be hundreds of people. We're talking about extended family, we're talking about slaves, all of your, if you will, clients, employees, all the things. And in the modern era, um, we don't have this power concentrated so much on a singular person. So here, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Harsh is to make bitter or to make them angry when you're in charge. So I show grace in the way I speak. That's the first point. I'm going to have three sub points under each one of these. How do I show grace when I'm in charge? By the way I speak. He's talking about tone here as much as, or I could argue even more than what's being said. Think about your relationships. Like, honey, would you please take out the trash? Yes, of course. Is different from yes. Of course. Those are very different responses. Harshness is, is tone. And see, here's the thing. If your tone is critical, if you're in charge, tone is everything. Grace eliminates all harsh tones. And in fact, if you have real power, you're, you're secure. Those who are harsh and put down others with oppressive you know, thoughts or words... They're insecure. We see this in leadership often. We see it in politics. Those who are insecure are those who are pushing others down, harsh towards others. If you have real power, you're secure. The power of the Lord that defines you. Most often harsh responses and unkind speech is the result of our power being challenged. I want you to think deeply about that because we can respond in really subtle ways And oftentimes we become harsh when we feel that our power is being threatened. If my worth is found in the fact that I have perfect children, I may respond differently when they're not. If my worth is found in in my position or or that I'm going to be the one who is leading all things in my firm in this quarter, if that's where my worth is found, I can get harsh towards others. Harshness is the way of the weak. But grace is the way of the strong. Look at verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged, agitated. Okay, so husbands. Now, fathers. In the first century, Roman Empire, uh, kids were ordered to obey. They were not, not be seen, not be heard. But kids in any era can be hurt and put down and oppressed 
by parents who, who, who bring onerous or burdensome tasks to children. And parents need to enter into loving relationships. Paul is saying, hey, we're different here in the kingdom of God. I've said it often, rules without relationship breeds rebellion in the heart of a child. Laws without love breed rebellion and can often be challenged because power invites challenge, right? So I show grace in the way I respond. See, I show grace in the way I speak, show grace in the way I respond or how I even bring initiative at times. See, human nature is to push against power, okay? So all of us who are parents or even married or in other relationships you're thinking about. I've discovered with my little grandson, not even two years old, he's just over a year, little Henry, he loves to wrestle. Little boys love to wrestle because what they're doing is, and girls do this too, but they're testing their strength. We want our kids to test their strength, to prepare them for the future. But kids can overstep and get disrespectful, rebellious, even hurtful. But when I'm in charge, if I'm led by grace, I'm defined by the grace of God, I don't fear challenge. I'm not afraid of challenges that come my way. But if my worth, again, is found in other things, in my self-image, my perfect kids, uh, my position, even I see this in our day, our, our political view, if that's where I find much of my identity, I'm going to be harsh when I feel that my power or my influence is being challenged. That's a fragile way to live because all of these other identities are not lasting. They are fragile. But if my ultimate power is found in Christ, my worth is found in him, then listen, parents, you really can be the non-anxious presence in the home. You can extend grace and lead with grace the way you speak, the way you respond. And now look at verse, four, uh, verse one of chapter four, masters. Okay, so again, those who are in charge, husbands, fathers, masters, treat your bond servants, again, doulos, slaves, I think the ESV softens that a bit, treat them justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Again, these people were owned. Now, Paul's not endorsing slavery. Uh, he, he, slavery is wrong in, in any era. And so we could talk for a while about what, what is happening here. What, he, what he's saying here is this. You're to be, you're to make decisions. That's what it is. I show grace in the way that I make decisions when I'm in charge. So you're making decisions that are going to help others to flourish. If you're a teacher at school, this is what you do, right? If you're a supervisor, if you're leading a team, if you're leading in the home, you make decisions that can allow others to flourish. You're given power, like Jesus, to lay it down. And he says, look at the reasoning. Because you're not ultimately in charge. You have a master, you're under supervision, you're a steward of the role that you have. This is radical teaching here. Many of you know the story of Cain and Abel in the Old Testament. We find it in Genesis 4 where the first homicide, the first murder takes place. Cain kills his brother, Abel. A tragic story, sad enough, but even sadder still is how Cain responds when he's asked about where his brother is. You remember? Am I my brother's keeper? And the implied answer is, yes, of course you are. Why? Because he's your brother. 
And families, you see, fight for one another. You, you, you see, Jesus comes. Here it is. John 10, Jesus says, the good shepherd says, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy like Cain. I have come, watch this, the one with all power and authority. I have come, the shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for his flock. You see, Abel's blood cries out for justice in Genesis 4. Jesus' blood cries out for grace to all who would be put in positions of power. See, you can rule like Cain or you can rule like Christ. And the, the decision is yours. Leverage your power that you've been entrusted with for the sake of everyone that you're in charge of. There's a great book on this topic that I would commend to you called Playing God. It's by Andy Crouch, and the subtitle is Redeeming the Gift of Power. It's kind of a play on words, this playing God. He writes this, we are meant to pour out our power fearlessly, spend our privilege recklessly, and leave our status in the dust of our headlong pursuit of love. Like Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us, he says, this is our calling. This is what it means to play God in the truest sense. If I'm in charge, I lead just like Jesus who laid himself down for the sake of those who've been placed in my trust. So how do I show grace when I'm not in charge? Well, look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Now, it's interesting to note, this is in the middle voice. The better translation is, wives, submit yourselves to your husband. This is not forced. This is not coerced. It's implied that the husband is loving like Jesus is loving, Ephesians 5. That's a big, big truth umbrella piece here. Place yourself under, yield to, put yourself under subjection is what that means. Now we see submission throughout the entire Christian life. So before we bristle too much or get prideful as men and say, well, I hope she'll submit to me. Instead, submission is a hallmark of the Christian life. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, because we submit to God. Hebrews 12, 9 and James 4, 7. We submit to brothers and sisters in the church. Ephesians 5, 24. We submit daily to humans in government. Romans 13, 1. We submit to Christian leaders in 1 Corinthians 16, 16. And on and on and on. It's a mark of the Christian life. And so when we wrestle with submission in certain areas of our lives, when we're not in charge, we need to press against the pride and the sin that would keep us from doing so. But in Ephesians 5, again, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he says, you know this, in Ephesians 5, he says, okay, wives, submit to your husband. Now, men, and this is radical teaching in Greco-Roman world. In a patriarchal society, he says, you are to love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. I met with two young couples that I'm, I'm doing their wedding up, upcoming. Met with two couples this week. And, and this is the challenge. Okay. You're to love each other. It's not that the wife is not supposed to do that either. 
Now in Christ, submitting to Him, we, we have this mutual submission that says, I'm going to serve you as I lead. See, Jesus flips leadership on His head. He becomes, watch this, the most powerful man in the room. Gets down on his knees. Makes himself a slave. Literally look like a slave. Gets on the floor and washes the disciples' feet. That's leadership in the kingdom. And and, and what we see in marriage then, I like to sum it up this way. Wives, you are to submit yourself to your husband. Watch this. Husbands. You're to love your wife just like Jesus loves us. And wives, you're to let him. That's it. (laughs) Love your wife like Jesus. Let him do that. See, and so it's, it's implied that we're living that way, you see. There's much being said about the roles of women and men. We are all called to submit. But notice this. Children and slaves are called to obey. Submission is a higher calling. Submission says this is a partnership that we're involved in here. And any wise man in the room knows this. When there's mutual submission in marriage, each spouse takes the lead at certain times. There's another conversation we've had with our staff recently. What is leadership in the kingdom? It's not like the world. And so any wise husband, I seem to be wise. There are times when Stacy needs to be leading out. Given her certain gifts, personality, the way the Lord's wired her, you don't want me leading certain things in my family or, or in the church. And it takes humility and wisdom to know in a relationship, this is key, mutual submission is seeking the wisdom of God to know when you lead and when you don't. And this is so important in healthy relationships. That's a healthy marriage. Look at verse 20. Children, obey your parents. Now this gets easy as we start to land this. Um, kids, uh, frankly, don't bring a lot to the table, do they? I mean, kids are a liability. Let's be honest. Um, I mean, so children, listen in. While mom and dad are guiding, leading, working, giving you, you know, food, roof over your head, all the things. Your role is simple, really focused. Obey. And all the parents said, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. I show grace through my obedience when I'm not in charge. And friends, think about some place where you're not in charge. We'll, we'll get there. This is one, though, in the family. That one of the, the ten, this is one of the Ten Commandments. To honor father and mother. This is core to a community guided by God's word. And it's the one that has more commentary to it. It's implied that the parents are going to be honorable. And parents would never tell their children to do something that is counter to God's word. So I show grace through my obedience. Look at verse 22. Now bond servants. So now we're seeing wives, children, bond servants, slaves. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, we know historically, as we've seen in our own country's history, um, slaves did horrific things. I mean, masters did horrific things to slaves. And so, so what is he saying here? He, he, he's saying when it comes to not being in charge and doing the role that you've been called to do, he says not by way of eye service. You catch the language? That's like, that's like saying only when someone's watching you at work, 
when they're aware of what, whenever, whenever your boss is watching, then you're really diligent. You're really working hard. But not when they're not watching. He's saying, don't, don't do that. You're like people pleasing. Don't, don't work that way. But with sincerity or integrity of heart. Be a holistic person, fearing the Lord. Again, this is another hermeneutical principle that's so important, is this trajectory. As we look at slaves, Paul is not endorsing slavery. Uh, it's wrong, again, in any era. He's not condoning slavery. He's saying, this is, this is the way it is now. And I think it's, it's called a divine accommodation, where we are growing. The Lord is, gives us a vision of where all this is heading. We look at the way it was in the beginning, where no person is dominant over another person. The perfect relationship between Adam and Eve before the fall. We see the way it was in the beginning. It's called protology. So the beginning and then where it's heading into the future where we see again perfect relationships with Christ as king. So we can apply this, this passage. I show grace through my integrity is what he's saying. When you're not in charge, you show grace by doing all that is required of you and doing it well. You see, being in the kingdom, being a Christ follower is not, is not a, a reason for shoddy work. In fact, Christians should be the very best in the workplace, in, in their schools. We should be the ones who are working as hard and harder than anyone. And why does he say this? Because you're working for the Lord. Did you catch that? God is the one with ultimate power. See, here's the thing. You may be in a very challenging uh, work situation. You may have a supervisor that's just beating you down. But this passage is saying, listen, remember, you're not working for the man. Everybody, everybody might think you're working for the man. He or she might think you're working for them. But you're working for the Lord. He is your boss. He is Lord of your life. That perspective, I want to challenge you. If you're in a very difficult situation now, seeking, I talked to someone earlier this morning. I'm looking for a job change. I don't want to stay where I am. It's hard. I would, I, I would say, yes, okay, seek wisdom, counsel. But as long as you're in that role, remember when you go to work, you're working for the Lord. Everything we do is an act of worship. Is how we say it here, right? So how do I show grace when I realize who's in charge? Here's where this lands. Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Everything you do is for him. As Christians, we have given our hearts to him. We're serving him. He is the most gracious. He's the most loving. He is the perfect one in charge of all things. We serve him. He is boss. He is the king of my life. So everything I do, Lord, watch me as I go to work in this relationship, as I talk to my spouse or to my kids. Lord, every word that I say, every action is a reflection of my worship of you. That's a different perspective that can change everything in your relationships. I show grace when I serve him. That's what he's saying here. I show grace when I work for him. He is preeminent. He is glorified when I obey him in every role, every position. And what I'm doing here is revealing them that he is in control of my life. And we follow his example. Think about it, friends. He displayed his love, his power, his control when he was seemingly completely stripped of power and control. Jesus flips leadership 
on its head. The leader is the servant of all. We show grace when we trust in him, that he's in control of all things. Look at this, verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. See, again, being a follower of Christ doesn't, doesn't cover up bad or, or little effort. Instead, we should be the most diligent. Because I show grace when I wait on Him. And some of you may be waiting on Him. We show grace when we serve Him. When we wait on Him. Look at verse 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there's no partiality. He gets back to where he started. There's no Jew nor Greek. There's no male nor female. There's no master or slave in the kingdom of God. This is for everyone. God doesn't show favoritism. He says, be faithful to him, regardless of your circumstances. And then he ends, really the challenge here, I show grace when I trust in him. So I, I show grace when I serve him, when I trust him, uh, when, when, I, when I give my all to him, when I wait for him. And so this passage shows us how grace, a grace-centered family can, can display lavish amounts of love. In a home. This is how grace invades the home. And it invades your, your workplace. And your school. And every relationship that you have. Brothers and sisters, we don't know when. The clock will strike midnight. But we know that we will be accountable before God. Because those of us in leadership, and we all are to some degree. Leadership is a stewardship. And we are accountable before God. So how are we leveraging, again, our power in these days? And how are you being guided when it's time for you to submit to others in relationships? Will you be like Christ? And so what I want to do is close our time by submitting to Him yet again today. And maybe today you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ. He's died on the cross for you. He's given His life for you so that you would submit to him as Lord. So let's all pray together as we close. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we close our time. How has he spoken into your heart? Before you rush out, pause for a moment, facing the week ahead. The Spirit has been speaking to your heart from this word. How will you apply it to your life? Some of us are in places where we're in charge of others. How will you steward that in these days? Perhaps you haven't been submitting as well as you should to those who are in charge of you. Or to others, maybe a spouse. We're all under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, those of us who call Him. And friend, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, as Lord of your life, He died again on the cross for you so that you would say yes to Him. Submit your life to Him. He alone is the perfect Master, the perfect Lord of your life. Lord, we thank You for Your grace. And we are determined to live in it and show the world a better way as we go about this day and this week ahead. We pray it all in Jesus' name.